Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from Washington is Aaron Bliss. Aaron is Assistant Inspector General for Evaluation and Inspections at the Office of Inspector General at Health and Human Services. And today we're going to be talking about a recent report from the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee. Uh, first, Aaron, thanks for taking time away from a busy end of the year to talk to us. Thanks, Adam. So but glad to be here and talk with you about this new report. Glad to talk to you. And I have to admit, uh, I was totally unfamiliar with the Pandemic Response Accountability Committee and its role. For those who, like me, are unfamiliar with it, can you give us a brief overview? Sure. The Pandemic Response Accountability Committee, which is also known as the PRAC for short, was created by the CARES Act early on in the COVID-19 pandemic. So the PRAC has a multi-part mission that's to promote transparency and coordinated oversight of the federal coronavirus response, to prevent and detect fraud, waste, abuse, and mismanagement, and to identify and mitigate major risks that cross program and agency boundaries. And so that's what this report was keying off of. Um, within the PRAC, there's a healthcare subgroup that's chaired by our HHS Inspector General, Christy Grimm. And this was the subgroup that produced the report on the use of telehealth during the pandemic. Telehealth, as you know, has been critical to the federal COVID-19 healthcare response. And so the PRAC healthcare subgroup decided to work together across our agency lines to provide insights on telehealth use and program integrity risks that look across healthcare programs across six different agencies. And so I'd be remiss not to acknowledge the contributions of all those colleagues. Um, this effort was a, a joint report and effort from the offices of Inspector General for the Departments of Health and Human Services, Defense, Labor, Justice, Veterans Affairs, and the Office of Personnel Management. So as we've discussed, the committee issued this uh, report on telehealth, and it covered the first year of the pandemic. What did the numbers show in terms of telehealth use during that time? Right. And we saw a dramatic increase in the use of telehealth. So during that first year, 37 million individuals use telehealth services across the six federal programs that we looked at for this report. Now, by comparison, in the year before, that number was only 3 million individuals using telehealth and those programs. So that translates to 13 times as many people access telehealth during the first year of COVID compared to the year before. Now, obviously, COVID-19 created unprecedented challenges for access to healthcare in a lot of ways. Um, and so these government programs responded quickly and took on all kinds of new policies, guidance, and expanded coverage substantially. So, for example, HHS allowed people in Medicare to use telehealth from their homes and for patients to use telehealth from both urban and rural areas. Whereas before the pandemic, Medicare generally restricted telehealth to rural areas, and even then those patients needed to go to a healthcare facility to use it. 
Um, in another example, the Department of Defense temporarily lifted its requirements for TRICARE that patients needed to use a combination of audio video during telehealth appointments and allow patients to access telehealth using audio only. Um, but as much as our report shed light on these numbers, there is still a big need for more data for good oversight and to really understand the use and the impacts of telehealth. Um, we found that there's limited information about how telehealth impacts quality of care, which has implications for the individuals receiving that care, but also implications for our ability to do you know, good oversight. And we found that some programs lack specific data that's really important for oversight. So for example, data identifying the provider who actually rendered the telehealth services and data that distinguishes between in-person care and telehealth care are critical to oversight, but we're always part of the data that's available to hmm. take a look at the impacts of telehealth. Hmm. Interesting, that would be key data to have, especially in something that's been so explosive in its growth. And, you know, it's been amazing to see the opportunities it's created for care. I, I saw it firsthand, both personally, and I've got a 90-year-old father-in-law living with me um, and has been through the pandemic. and what he was able to gain. Now, when it comes to healthcare, we inevitably end up talking about wrongdoing. Um, where did you find wrongdoing when it came to telehealth? Well, the six OIGs all kind of identified some similar types of risks of fraud, waste, or abuse associated with telehealth billing. So these risks included, for example, billing for the same service twice, billing for extremely high amounts of telehealth services, billing for services that don't really seem appropriate for telehealth, and billing inappropriately for the most expensive level of services. So for example, in Medicare, we found that more than 360 providers billed for telehealth services at the highest, most expensive level every time they billed for telehealth. Um, we also found over 100 providers who repeatedly billed both Medicare fee-for-service and a Medicare Advantage plan for the same telehealth service for the same person. Um, so these types of risks can signal that telehealth services are being billed that maybe weren't medically necessary or weren't really provided in the way that they were billed. Um, but I will point out that many of the risks we saw in telehealth are similar the program integrity risks that we see in in-person care, right? Most of these aren't, aren't totally new compliance risk areas. Well, what's old is new again, though, <laughs> I think in this case. <laughs> exactly. Same problems, different venue. Now, the report had recommendations for government agencies. What controls did they recommend? Yes, well, all of the programs we looked at have some safeguards in place to oversee telehealth services, we pointed to additional opportunities to strengthen program integrity. And so these safeguards included additional and ongoing monitoring of telehealth services, um, additional billing controls to help prevent inappropriate payments, education for providers and patients about appropriate telehealth services, and as I alluded to earlier, collection of additional data to help support better oversight of telehealth. Um, we think that 
conducting targeted data-driven monitoring of telehealth services would really help to build on the safeguards that are currently in place and could be used to help recover inappropriate payments, place certain providers potentially on prepayment review, or even initiate fraud investigations where it was warranted. In Medicare specifically, HHS OIG made several recommendations to CMS, including, for example, improving the transparency of what are called incident two services. So incident two billing, this is where Medicare allows for services provided by clinical staff who are directly supervised by a physician or a non-physician practitioner to be billed under the supervising practitioner's identification number. So when you see an identification number associated with the service, you don't really know is that the person who actually delivered the service or was that the supervising practitioner. And so it makes it more difficult, right, to conduct uh, effective and targeted program integrity efforts and to conduct kind of precise analysis at the provider level when it's not clear who the provider actually was. Another safeguard that we recommended um, to improve that transparency was that Medicare should specifically uh, identify telehealth companies. And by that, we're referring to companies that employ practitioners to provide on-demand telehealth services and don't also offer in-person services. So they're like strictly telehealth providers. Some of the providers that we identified as posing a high risk to Medicare appear to be associated with this type of telehealth company. But right now, there's no systematic way in the Medicare data to identify those companies. And since these companies are kind of a new phenomenon, we don't really know a lot about their fraud and abuse risk profile. So we think it would be valuable to be able to identify these companies in the data so CMS, OIG, and others can really watch what's happening with them, how they evolve, and you know if there are any concerning trends. Well, it will be interesting to see, you know, if these providers are providing greater care and filling a market gap or are really just the source of fraud and problems. Now, let's talk more about providers in general. Um, what should they be doing to tighten their own controls and assure that they remain in compliance? Great question. And you won't be surprised, Adam, to hear me say that providers play a crucial role in protecting the integrity of our healthcare nope. programs. Not, not so surprised at know, all. Right? So providers have very important responsibilities in maintaining their own compliance with program rules. So obviously, it's important for providers to know how to correctly bill for telehealth services. Just drawing from some of the examples from this report, you know, they should ensure they're not double billing for telehealth services and ensuring that the services that they bill for accurately reflect the level of service that they provided and what their patient legitimately needed. And of course, those same principles are true for in-person services too. But in the telehealth con uh, context, the landscape, you know, is continuing to evolve, right? So it's important in telehealth in particular that providers stay attuned to any updates on program rules and guidelines to ensure that their patients have appropriate access to what is available 
but that providers are remaining compliant as policies are updated and evolve. And of course, if providers witness or suspect inappropriate Medicare billing practices, they should contact HHSOIG's hotline, which is available through our website at oig.hhs.gov, or if a provider determines that they themselves have engaged in inappropriate billing practices, we can encourage them to voluntarily disclose that to HHSOIG under our healthcare fraud self-disclosure protocol, which can also be accessed through our website, oig.hhs.gov. Well, and I think what's a nice contrast there is even though this is something new, the old ways of sort of looking at things, thinking about them remain as well as the reporting mechanisms. However, there's a really good uh, a good warning you provided there over the fact that rules may continue to change. And even though the pandemic's ending and we're hoping for a period of greater stability, we should still be on the lookout for things to change as more information is gathered on telehealth and on other things as well. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us and illuminating uh, what the report found. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Turtletaub from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we're able to expand your compliance perspective.